Found Live in three, two, one. Hey, and welcome to Found Live. I'm Daryl Etherington, your host, and I'm joined by Jordan Crook, who is the chief executive to my management trainee. Thanks, Jordan, for joining us here. Smooth, super smooth intro. We landed the plane and we're off. Yeah, I'm Jordan Crook. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for Found Live. Found is the TechCrunch podcast where we talk to founders about the stories behind the startups. We go live every other Thursday. So next Thursday, our sister podcast, Equity, will be going live. Make sure you don't miss it. Yeah. And one more announcement before we get going. We got TC Sessions Robotics coming up on July 22nd. This is a one-day free virtual event. So totally free. You can register now and you get panels and interviews with the world's leading founders, technologists, engineers, researchers investors, and more in robotics and AI. You can RSVP for that at techcrunch.com slash events. Nice. There's so many different people going to robotics. So many. Will you be going, Daryl? Of course I will. I I wouldn't miss it. That's my birthday. I'm actually... On PTO. It's my birthday present to myself. <laughs> so I probably won't be there, but good, happy birthday and exciting for robotics. Okay, now that that's out of the way, let's bring in our guests. Really, really excited today because we are joined by Carolyn Childers, who is the co-founder and CEO of Chief. What's up, Carolyn? Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. All right, Carolyn. So normally we just start out with a quick explanation of what your company is, just in case some of our listeners haven't heard of it, though I'm sure many of them have. Do you want to give us a, a breakdown? Yeah, absolutely. So Carolyn Childers, I'm the co-founder, CEO. Oh, I messed it up. It's all right. Oh, Everybody does. The worst. Everybody does. <laughs> it looks like it should be a soft eye. It does. It's a problem. Everybody gets it wrong. Yeah. I am the co-founder and CEO of a company named Chief, which is a vetted network focused on senior executive women. And it's a great community that comes together to really support each other as we're all navigating the challenges that come with senior leadership. And kind of our core service that we do is aptly named Core. It's a kind of peer coaching format where all of our community comes together. We're now 16,000 strong across the U.S., And they meet on a monthly basis. There's an executive coach in the room. And it's just a wonderful community that really supports women with the mission of driving more women into positions of senior leadership and keeping them there. Nice. So one of the questions I have about Chief, because we've talked a bunch of times, Carolyn, and I've still got your name wrong. So (laughs) (laughs) that shows how I've got it. I don't know that you ever had to say my last name until now. Yeah, I wrote it. I never got on the phone. I was like, hello, Miss Childers. You know, like we were always first naming it. I know. Stupid me. I'm going to be upset about it for the whole time. But like we've talked a bunch and I obviously like understand on a surface level and on a to write an article level, like, okay, chief has this big network. Right. And the whole idea is like taking women in positions of senior leadership or trying to be in positions of senior leadership and like giving them other women to be around to understand those things as well as executive coaches. But I think the thing that I've always wondered about is like, what do you guys do that is super defensible? Obviously, you were like early and you have this big network and this big brand. Mm -hmm. But like if a Google or, you know, whatever were to come in, like, is there tech? Is there an algorithm? Is there something there that's really sticky and moated off? Yeah. Well, I think that this type of business model, the biggest kind of moat is who is in the network. I think at the end of the day, it's a type of organization and a type of community that it would be actually very hard to dedicate the amount of time that is needed to multiple different communities like this. 
Mm-hmm. So I think for us, the biggest thing that we look at and have tremendous amount of pride over is the amazing women that are a part of this community. And so when you join Chief, you truly are being able to get access to and learn together and with some of the most powerful women across the U.S. And yes, we have some amazing technology behind it that really allows for great connections to happen for you to find the right people to be in core groups with. We have a whole like machine learning algorithm behind the scenes of which groups should actually come together for these sessions. We definitely are investing in our own content for the facilitation of some of these sessions. But at the end of the day, by far the biggest moat that we have are the amazing women that are a part of this network. Cool. And how did you build that network to start with? Like, is it something you spend a lot of time on? How much of the company is devoted to kind of growing and maintaining that network? Yeah, I mean, I think what has been pretty amazing is we had, as we were kind of launching, our first foray into starting to talk about Chief was trying to raise some capital. And we had just the hardest time Mm. in raising our initial seed round and a lot of skepticism, which obviously puts you into this place of doubt of, you know, you're now dedicating your life to this. What are you doing? And instantly, as soon as we actually started to message out to potential consumers or members of it, it was like night and day Mm. because we were actually just blown away. We had one press hit of announcing our seed round and just had thousands of women join the wait list. And it just kind of spoke to how much of a universal need and how much of a alignment to a mission like this existed out there. Mm-hmm. So it was all word of mouth at first. Wow. And we did some cold emailing, which just blew us away of literally our first customer, our first member was a C-level executive, Fortune 500 company off of a cold email and she paid hmm. within the day. Wow! And so it just kind of blew us away of how much there was a very clear product market need here. So I do think that there was a very distinct first mover advantage of building something like this focused on senior executives, because I think there's many women networks out there. They are often open for everyone, which means that Mm -hmm. this particular woman is the speaker and she is the mentor. And there's actually not a community specifically for her. And that was a very distinct difference of what we were creating that people really gravitated towards. I will also say that I think we very intentionally tried to build a very aspirational brand around this. Unfortunately, when you think about a women's professional network, you often think about like warm white wine and name tags and pantsuits and like nothing that you- well, Pantsuits yeah. always yeah. come to mind. Every single time I think of Chief, I can't help it. I'm like, there's so many pantsuits. Wait, oh and no. Chief, that was what we were trying <laughs> yeah. to disrupt. No, oh, no, 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 I know, but it's just the truth. Like you can't help it. When you say like a woman and a senior executive role. I just think of pantsuits. I can't help it. Okay, so it's a, it supersedes even the chief brand. Yeah. It's just yeah, association. It's just, yeah, I mean, chief is yeah. just associated with those high-powered women. But like high-powered women to me are always in pantsuits. Pants so Carolyn, you're doing be. everything right. You just can't fight against. Uh, yeah, it's we're just still a, fighting it's a fight wave. Daily. Yeah, we're fighting gravity. that fight. We're going to disrupt the, the mental image that happens with a... <laughs> professional What does it look like though? Well, I think that is actually why when we launched, we launched with space, with a clubhouse Mm. down in 
Tribeca in New York. And a big part of that was for the brand to be able to come to life, to be able to show that this is more of an aspirational brand that we were trying to create and not the kind of more corporate stuffy feeling that you might just instinctively feel with a women's professional network. Right. Or any professional network. Right? Yeah. Like a lot of them yeah. I associate with like, oh, that's like a box I have to tick off because yeah, like taking not to a get quiz. too personal, but like <laughs> yeah, who, yeah, who management has said you have to fill out this form or whatever, or do this course, uh, and then I'm you know, and it and it feels like a series of requirements yeah um, that arrive in my like you know corporate management tool inbox thing and that and nothing else beyond that right yeah. But yeah, that's- so, and I think what was really important to us, too, I mean, there was definitely very different, like, how do you actually go to market ideas of do you go to the companies directly and work with companies to say this is something that, you know, you should sponsor your leading women within your organization into, or do you go directly to her? Mm -hmm. And I think it was really important for us to go and build that relationship directly with her, have that aspirational branding, have just this amazing first founding members that really set the stage of the level of seniority we were talking about that pulled it more into a consumer brand than the company mandated thing that you have to do. Right. It's so important. Like I, you know, it's probably like harder because then you're like, okay, I'm investing in myself. Do I want to do this extra thing? It's going to cost me money. Mm -hmm. My job and my life are hard enough. Right. But like, It's so, so much better because, I mean, Daryl and I have talked about this a billion times. We're both in the same random program at Yahoo. And then like, God bless Yahoo, whatever. (laughs) But then we also, (laughs) that was the right disclaimer, right? I think you solved it. Yeah, you're good. (laughs) Backed away from that in the right way. And then, you know, we've talked to a bunch of people, you know, we've talked to Medley and we've talked to some other founders who are working on stuff like this. And it does feel like anytime you come through the corporation itself or the business itself, I think one of the sticking points is not only that it's like a box to tick or a form to fill out or whatever, this like mandatory thing, but it also doesn't ever feel like specific enough. And like Mm -hmm. I said, Daryl and I have talked about this a bunch, but I'm curious how Chief solves the issue of like, yeah, it's for me, but I'm still in this big group. Mm -hmm. And like, We could talk about self-advocacy or we could talk about like, you know, taking initiative or we could talk about like building your network. But at the end of the day, like it doesn't solve this very specific problem I have with this very specific employee or this very specific situation or challenge. Like I need to talk about that, like Mm. that specifically and hear what other people think about it. And so like, how do you make space and room while still keeping like the structure of of the system in place? Yeah, well. I will answer that. I'm going to just say one thing before I go and do it, which is what we have found, which is the sweet spot of a B to C to B type of business. So like the relationship is with her, but she still can go and get it sponsored. And so the vast majority actually do, but she still owns the relationship, which is really important. So I think one of the things that has made the experience so impactful at Chief is the way that these groups run We never use the word curriculum because at this level of seniority, like you don't need to be sitting through like a very prescriptive. These are the topics we're going to talk about month over month over month that like may have zero relevance to what is going on in your life in that month that you guys are coming together and having these conversations. So it's very much an emergent structure that we create where you actually 
could walk into that meeting and say, like, I am having such a hard time working with Daryl. Like, it's just it's a struggle. It's always him. It's a struggle. Yeah. This comes up a lot. (laughs) And you will talk specifically about that. And the executive coach that is in the room will help facilitate that discussion. But it's really like the group of peers that are working through these situations because every single person has either been through that context themselves or will in the near yeah. future. And so it's They've all worked with me and they've all fired me previously. <laughs> and that's what you should just do as that's well. There is a Daryl everywhere. <laughs> but I think that there's that commonality of, and most of the challenges that people are talking about are people challenges. So mm-hmm. there's just tremendous learning of being able to go through those specific examples together and actually take more thematic learnings from that than lead with a theme and force it into a prescribed curriculum. So how long is a meeting? Because it feels like for everyone to get through there, there's, you there's know, there. we could spend an hour on Daryl. No problem. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's two to two and a half hours. Some of the earlier sessions okay. are about two and a half hours, and then it goes down to two hours. And I think that is why it was really important for us. There's other types of models like this that don't have the very trained facilitator in the room. Mm -hmm. But for us, that was very important. And so we have just some of the most experienced executive coaches and facilitators that are in that room to make sure that we are not just talking about the same issues each session and actually really coming to some takeaways and resolution. And how do you source those folks? Like, are you just taking recommendations or are you recruiting? And yeah, are they contractors or how does it work? Yeah, it's 1099. So it's, again, some of the best executive coaches that are out there. So the Mm -hmm. majority of them have a full book of business of other clients that they're working on -on one-on-one. You're actually, as a chief member, able to extend the relationship into one-on-one coaching, if you Mm -hmm. would like, at, at some discounted pricing. So they are independent contractors that are working with us, but just really deeply aligned to the mission that we are building at Chief and making better leaders. And so that has honestly also been very word of mouth. As one executive coach joins, she'll introduce us to another that she knows would just be an amazing part of the community. And it's been great. We now actually have close to 400 executive coaches that are working with us. Wow. And follow-up question, can Jordan be one of those, too? I know she's looking for some side gigs. Yeah, a coach, yeah. I think you'd be, I think you'd a be a coach. A coach or a <laughs> member? Yeah, you think I should be a coach? Like, here's what you do. You just joke it off, laugh it off, hang up. Throw your slack on, do not disturb. And you just Walk keep climbing away. the ladder. It's easy peasy. <laughs> Yeah, close that computer and just drive the kid around. That's how you do it. Um... No, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm, I've got a steep rate, but I'm sure you can handle it. Um, so I was mm-hmm. wondering if you yeah. could take us back because you mentioned early fundraising. Because like I can imagine I haven't tried to fundraise for like a <laughs> women in leadership network before, mm-hmm. but I can just imagine based on the personalities I know in VC how that went. But can you talk to us a little bit about like what, the sticking point seemed to be with those conversations mm-hmm. and kind of like after getting that early <laughs> traction yeah. and going back and being like, Hey, by the, the way, the fun part, mm-hmm. you know, like what, how just, I would love to hear a little bit more the storytelling of that. Bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think our, our struggles actually started even before we started to go out and fundraise. So as I was incorporating the company and wanting to go in and build this, 
I remember even just trying to get a lawyer to represent mm. us who would like, I would literally be paying this person, not trying to get money from, but I would be paying this person. <laughs> and the first two conversations I had with like potential lawyers, they were like, I think this is a really great lifestyle business. I don't think this is a VC wow. business. So I don't think I'm the right lawyer for you. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, I can't even pay. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. It, like that kind of started things off. But yeah, I mean, I think I was probably pretty naive going into the process because I had been and my co-founder had been in startups for a long time. We had really great networks in the VC community. And so for us, we thought, okay, you know, the for the first check is supposed to be about the founders, mm -hmm. right? Like it's supposed to be like, do I bet on this person? And we had a lot of those relationships and thought that we would have therefore not like nothing is easy like it never would have right but easy, like at but least like, maybe level yeah you know exactly and that just wasn't the case like we were just no after no after no and I think for Lindsay and I like I, I can actually remember this distinct moment when we were out in San Francisco had had a bunch of conversations and we went back to the hotel and we're just like do we just need to like completely change this and we had our next mm -hmm. like VC meeting and a like 30 minutes, I think. And we're like, we don't have enough time to like pivot in 30 minutes based <laughs> off of everything that we've seen. And thank God we didn't because it meant that we just like kept at it and found people who ultimately just believed in us and believed in what we were building. And I think the biggest questions that people had was, well, don't women already have like other women they talk to all the time? Like mm. who, why do you need this? Like, everybody's got their friends and their colleagues and like, whatever, you don't actually need this. And, and I think, <laughs> and those were, those were females that were saying that, right? <laughs> totally. I assume totally. They, from experience, they know. Especially VCs were yeah. like, but I have the skull and bone society. Doesn't everyone? Yeah. As a father of a daughter, let me tell you. My wife said, um, <laughs> She just called me from the Hamptons. She had all this stuff to say. <laughs> she has access to opportunities all the time. I don't know what the issue is. <laughs> what's, the, what's the problem? Um, oh, God. So, yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of skepticism of, like, I don't see what the need is. But I think the other skepticism, which I think is a much more valid question, is... You know, we were focused on women, which automatically makes people think like you're cutting an opportunity size in half. And then you're focused on senior executive women. Is that actually a TAM. big enough TAM? Like that was mm. the big question. But there's 5.5 million women in the U.S. who are VP and above. So at our mm. price point, that's a $30 billion TAM. And I think that and it has to be going up and like it, every month. And it basically. goes right. up. And that's assuming yeah. that you, and the network helps it go yeah, up, exactly. right? Like that's part of the um, pool. Yeah. Pandemic didn't help as like a lot of women right. dropped out of the workforce. But our mission should be to grow our TAM as we drive more people into those positions. And that's just in the U.S. So I think it was ultimately that first piece of like really not understanding the pain point that we were trying to solve. And it was amazing to then see the juxtaposition of that when we launched a few months later and immediately had a wait list that was like, I think there's mm, a pain yeah. point here that we are actually right. solving for. And that became really clear. So then fast forward to our series A, where there's a lot of players who obviously are both seed investors and series A investors. And so we were talking to a lot of those same people again, and we were oversubscribed, you know, had lots of people interested. And uh, it was very fun in that moment to go back to some of those early, <laughs> you know, seed investors and be like, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to do 
Oh, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you pull the Julia Roberts? The big mistake. Huge. I should have. I really should have. Oh, you should have so hard with shopping bags or something or whatever the like VC equivalent of shopping yeah. bags are. Term sheets, you know, just. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's such a vibe. Yeah. I'm going to ride the way, the high of that. All of it. It totally turned around my Childers moment. I'm feeling good now. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> So I had a question just about like the order, because I bet a lot of our listeners have this too. So did you go, did you even have an MVP when you were going out asking for the first check or you just had kind of the idea and the concept and you were basing it on that and then you built that with the money in from your seat? So we had some of our services that we were testing, but I wouldn't say that we had Mm. our fully complete MVP as we were raising. So when you join Chief, you get access to just a suite of services. One is core, which I was talking about before. It's that peer group model. We also have a whole events and programming that you can, you know, participate in as many or as few as you would like. And so we have speakers like Michelle Obama, who came earlier this year to some of the best professors at business school. So that we didn't have anything happening on that front Mm pre-launch. There's a whole community product. So yes, you're in your group of 10 for core, but you can also access the 16,000 other women that are a part of this network through our community app. And that was not launched prior to getting our seed round. No. And then we actually had physical space as we as we launch. And we still do now. We have three clubhouses throughout the US that that you can access as part of your membership. And so the last three of kind of that content and programming, the community platform and the clubhouses, those we still had to build post the C. Right. But we were doing tests groups of core because that was really the most important part. And we, you know, had a initial list of, you know, interested members. So it was off of that that we were fundraising. It was the idea of it and what the need was. And it's a big opportunity. It was some early learnings from those core groups. It was some early traction with some early members. And it was Lindsay and I. That was really what the backbone of our initial conversations were during the seed round. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people are curious, like what they should have in hand before going out. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you mentioned you had some relationships existing because of the, your work in startup industry and, and in the tech industry, mm-hmm. right? So that probably informed how much you wanted to have in hand before going out. But I was also curious as you were going through that list, like when you were talking about those other additional products, did you have those scope where you like, this is what we're going to do? Or did those like come out of your earlier experiences? Like how defined were they in the early days and how much were they like built later on? Yeah, I would say the one that was probably the least. And again, given the tech orientation of so much of the VCs, the community product was the one that was probably the most undefined and we were still testing. So like we were early days just using Slack of like, what is that community product before we went and built our own? And I think that that was actually important for us to like continue to get the learnings of like what types of conversations are happening here. How are people connecting? So that one was probably the most undefined for us. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry. Yeah, no worries, Jordan. Nobody even noticed. <laughs> no, but that. here's the thing. Yeah, maybe they didn't. But I <laughs> did know what you guys were talking about. It was weird because I couldn't hear you, but I am a lip reader. And <laughs> I was curious. I, I don't think you're going to share this with me, but I want to ask anyway, which is like, What's next, right? Like obviously Mm. growth and scale, you just like keep going and going and you can keep capturing these giant swaths of the market, but like Mm. nobody can sit still, right? Like that (laughs) can't be enough. So like what, what does that look like in a couple of years? Like are we, is there a chief junior network or is there, how do you kind of expand from that? 
Yeah, well, I would say that, you know, we just raised our Series B earlier this year, which was an exciting milestone for us. But honestly, the number one thing that we are most focused on is continuing to invest in the experience of our members. I think that Mm. a lot has happened over the last few years. We started at Chief. We had a very in-person experience. We then had to be virtual and really build into our technology over the pandemic. And there's still a lot more that we want to continue to do there. But we also kind of have to navigate the, you know, what is the right balance of in-person and tech-driven? So there's a ton that we want to continue to invest in our experience, and that is first and foremost. But our mission is to change the face of leadership, which is kind of twofold. It is to drive more representation from underrepresented communities in leadership, and so literally changing the face. Um, But it's also making sure that every leader, once they become a leader, is the best leader that they can be. And, you know, we want to be the most powerful network of women, which isn't just the U.S. So I think there's an opportunity for us to think more broadly beyond, you know, these United States of America and an opportunity to think across more demographics. But that is all very future for us. It all very much aligns with our mission. I think right now we just launched nationally at the beginning of this year. We're now in every city across the U.S. And so there's just a lot of work that we want to do to be investing in those experiences. Cool. What about you, like yourself as a leader, you and Lindsay, right? Like, I mean, I talk to like, <laughs> I do the same thing when we talk to like climate and sustainability people. I'm like, how sustainable are you? <laughs> you know, like, but, like, do you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel like you are held to, or you hold yourself to a particularly high standard as a female leader or a leader in general, even? And, you know, also particularly in the tech space where I feel like any female CEO gets bullshit that no man would ever get right <laughs> like it's just the truth yeah. it's just like stupid so yeah. like how do you think about stuff like that well i mean i think there's there's twofold i don't know that i hold myself to a higher standard but i definitely know that society does yeah and so i do think there's that component but i also just think we are a mission oriented company that is based around you know good leadership. And so I think that inherently, whether I was a man or woman sitting in the seat of a company that is focused on, you know, driving and making better leaders, that I myself need to do that work. Mm. (laughs) So it is something that like we take very seriously. And as we think about the culture that we want to build at Chief and the type of environment that we want to build at Chief, it's really important for us that we kind of start with us first and make sure that we have an environment where people have access to opportunities, access to learning. And I think that is actually one of the biggest misnomers in many ways is that like the only way that I can show that I'm successful is by getting that promotion or getting that something. But like there's a ton of just opportunity through learning as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we've really tried to embed in the culture of Chief is a learning culture and a feedback culture. It's definitely something that I know that I, as a woman, am held to higher standards. And I know that I, as a CEO of a mission-based company, will be held to higher standards. But I also know that I'm not perfect and nobody on our leadership team is perfect. And I know that we're going to mess up sometime if we haven't already. And that like that we need to make sure that we give each other in our team the grace of that, of of not mm. having to be perfect because we're never going to be. I think this is kind of, I don't know if Jordan, you're going in this way directionally, but like we've talked to other guests about this too, but I'm curious your take on it specifically because of the business the chief is in. But we've seen like over the past year, year and a half, women CEOs and executives, I think like 
being kind of like targeted, I guess, by the media for yeah. for behavior that probably wouldn't cause anyone to bat an eye. No, not even a remotely. male executive doing yeah. that, right? Like bad behavior in Slack, for instance, is one of the things. Mm-hmm. Or right? being like being like demanding, mm-hmm. but like right. a male boss who's demanding and says like, "Hey, this needs to be done at this time," or "I want to do this." Like, let's get it done. Mm-hmm. No one gives a shit, right? Yeah. And I yeah. feel this all the time. I'm yeah. like one of the only women in senior leadership at TechCrunch. And we have a really diverse team and they're all great. We've worked together for years and years. There's tons of trust. But I do often feel like I'm the one who has to have the empathetic Mm -hmm. conversation Mm -hmm. with someone, (laughs) right? Like I'm the one who has to be like, oh, I totally understand why you feel that way. You know what I mean? Which is great. And like, I'm fine to do that. And that's kind of my personality anyway. But like, it's bullshit that it happens. I'm sorry, I cut you off, Daryl. But like the media do try to like target women for doing what men do and it feels really unfair particularly in tech yeah yeah i was just curious like your perspective on that and how much like does it does it come up among your community members is it a topic that is like often discussed and do you have kind of like suggestions or solutions for people yeah i mean i think that it is definitely a topic of conversation the community is definitely something that is a topic amongst my peers as ceos founders in the tech world that are women and you know i i look at you know one of the pieces recently on emily weiss that like she tried something it didn't work she shut it down that actually sounds like really good management to me of like taking risks Acting fast if right. it's not working, but it gets put sometimes in in a different light. And and I think there's like the double edged sword of you know as a woman founder in tech, you often get extra media attention because there's so few of us. But then you also mm-hmm. get extra media attention because there's so few of us. Right, right. <laughs> and when it's good, it's good, and when it's bad, it's it's bad. And so I definitely think that there's and I think it's actually beyond just like the the media attention, I think in the actual operations of a company, you mm. also have the extra burden as a woman of needing to be likable and that yeah. like mm-hmm. that is actually a criteria of success that actually doesn't exist for many men that are executives, managers. Right independent contributors but you yeah, have daryl's not even remotely likable <laughs> not at all. actually that's my only attribute that's my only skill i, I lack all other skills <laughs> it's definitely that like it's that double bind of like you have to like show some power and authority otherwise you're not viewed as you know somebody who should be in a position of leadership but you can't do it too much because then you're not likable and it's a really hard thing to balance yeah it's interesting you bring up that it's like an operational problem as well because you're totally right that when it like expresses itself in the media and the media does a bad job of story selection as well and like focusing they choose to focus the oculus where they focus Mm -hmm. it right but Part of that is, oh, where do my tips come from? My tips come from irate employees who are incensed Mm -hmm. that a woman leader would do this thing that were, you know, famous male tech leader XYZ to do that same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, who cares? Right. Like, that's great. Oh, I deserved it. Like, wonderful. I'm not going to go. You're like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's definitely there's definitely an element of that. But I I also think that a belief that a lot of people will have is they join a company and it's like, oh, it's amazing. I'm working for like a women, a woman CEO. And there's just this different expectation that comes with that of like Mm. the type of culture that's going to be built. And, you know, and I just say that, like, nobody is perfect man or woman. And so I think and everybody's learning in their leadership journeys. And but that, you know, 
need to find that perfect balance as a woman is just so much greater right from the yeah. beginning. Yeah, you have a, a much thinner margin mm-hmm. in which to operate. Mm-hmm. We don't have too much time yet, but I want to dig into your origin story because we really haven't mm-hmm. talked about that at all. But you have such an interesting history. You know, we've worked across a variety of industries. Yeah. But how did you just like go from that to wanting to be a startup founder and an entrepreneur? Yeah, I actually think this is I'm glad you asked this question, because I feel like every time I have heard another founder talk about their origin story, it always starts with the like, I was an entrepreneur since I was young and I had a yes. newspaper a lemonade and stand. a lemonade stand. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> you always have that. And I actually am the opposite. And therefore, I feel like it's a good story to be out there that like that doesn't have to be your origin story to mm-hmm. go into an entrepreneur place. If anything, it was actually the opposite for me because I grew up where my mom's family had a, they were business owners, they were in the travel agency business. So, you know, play that story out, you know, how that all worked out for, for us. Um, Perfectly. We are still <laughs> rocking it. Up, up and to the left. Yeah, the road, exactly. right? <laughs> and so like running a family business was just, it was really hard. And that's what I grew up around of like, there was that entrepreneurial spirit, but it also was like, oh man, this is tough. And so mm-hmm. as I originally started my career, I was like, I'm going that big company route where like there's, you know, the, the stability and the opportunities. Right. And, and that's how I started my career. And it wasn't until after business school that I actually went into startups and realized this is actually where I should be. I am Mm. somebody who has always operated in the like scrappy 80-20, like how do we just make incremental improvements day after day after day without worrying about the 20 that nobody actually cares about except for Mm -hmm. big corporations. And so I fell in love with it. And so my first foray was actually at Quidzy, which was in New York. It was the parent company of diaper soap. I launched and ran soap.com, got acquired by Amazon and was like, this is amazing. It's a first foray into startups. It's like, is this how it always goes? It sounds <laughs> sounds wonderful. And then I worked on a company out in South Korea, actually called Coupon, who went public this year. They are mm. now the Amazon of South Korea, which is a huge kudos to them. And then most recently was at Handy, which is a marketplace for home services and ran all of operations there. So I had done like a bunch of different startup experiences, a few different, uh, you know, e-commerce marketplaces. I felt like I had a really good base understanding of, of how to build businesses. But as soon as I actually made the decision to go and launch Chief myself, I immediately sent an email to like every single one of my past founders that I worked for. and was like, I am so sorry. <laughs> this is so much harder than I ever, like you think as a senior executive, like you feel that pressure, you're in it with them. There's just something really inherently different about being a founder of a company and the just pressure that you feel of you know, all of these people that are joining you on this journey, like their livelihoods and their careers are in your hands. And it's just such a different place. But I knew for myself that I wouldn't be happy unless I had gone on that true, like founder journey myself. Yeah. Yeah. That is, it's a, an amazing revelation for people. I've heard from a lot of people who worked in, in our own startups, but then never were they like the actual founder, chief executive person directly responsible and their experience is all similar to that. Although there are a few examples of the opposite where mm. I've had a conversation with like a very long time chief executive founder where, you know, I said, he's like, well, how come I have to be the face of the brand? I'm like, what are you talking about? The brand is you. You are the brand. They're inseparable. They always have been. Uh, and he, his face kind of felt like, how can I? 
<laughs> How can I escape this? Uh, I won't name him unless Jordan wants to, to kick a guess. But, but I yeah, remember the conversation and not the person. Yeah. Uh, well, it rhymes with Spotify. <laughs> oh. Maybe I don't remember the conversation. I, I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. yeah. Daryl used to work at Shopify. <laughs> he also lives in Canada. <laughs> but it's like... It's amazing that you have that early, right? So that kind of responsibility, though, how is it not? Was it empowering for you or was it was it daunting in that same way? Did you extrapolate it out and think like, oh, boy, like once we've employed a bunch of people and stuff like that's all still going to be on my shoulders? Or how do you feel about it? I think it gets a little easier each day as the business. You know, I think those early, early days, those first employees that are coming to work with you where you're like, uh, is this thing going to be a thing? That's mm. like where it's it's most stressful. And now it's more about like, how do you make sure that the culture that we built in those early days is sustaining? And this is a great place for everybody to work. But I think there's a really big difference of like the pressures internally and externally of like, I now feel and I'm kind of an operator by heart. So like, I've always been much more comfortable in the like, how do I be the CEO to my team versus how do I be mm. the CEO publicly, uh, right, which yeah, I think yeah. is a probably what you were referencing of the like, yes. oh man, yes. I have to do what? And I think one of the like great parts of being the CEO of something like Chief is that we have 16,000 just badass members and like we actually try to showcase them a lot too. Mm, you yeah. know, like, you know, Lindsay and I, we're really proud of what we've built, but like, there's some people in our membership that like are a lot more impressive than us. And so like, we actually can. Well, for now, for now. <laughs> so we actually can like create a little bit more balance instead of us always having to be and needing to be that face because we are a community at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a sticky one for a few, just a few minutes left, but when you're building a community product, how much do you think about when like other community products that are like open membership or whatever, like sort of like Reddit or whatever, they have the big thing with reputation, right? And mm -hmm. reputation is always inherently tied into community. Does that come up in your thinking about it? Do you worry about community moderation that much? Or is it less of a concern because of the nature of the product and the nature of your members who are paying to be there and, and you know, are professionals? Right? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a few things that are inherently different about our community that we haven't had to, I need to knock on wood, worry <laughs> about as many of those things. And I think one of them is like the underlying thread that is bringing this community together is this mission. Mm. And I think because of the mission, you just have people that are attracted to the community that come from a position of support and not from a position of negativity and ugliness that I think you can start to see on other in other communities. I'd say the other very important part of this is that you're not anonymous at Chief. Right. Like, there's no bots that are coming in and like creating some type of experience and environment that like you a Bitcoin scam or something. Yeah, like you uh, have to yeah. you have to stand behind the words that are that are there. And so I think both of those things have made it really clear to people like the type of place that the type of community that Cheap is. And it's actually like we, as we launched, we didn't, we are on LinkedIn, but we're not in any of the other social media channels, actually, mm. largely because like they're horrible environments for women. Yes. And so it was very important for us as we were building our community to make sure that we put in the right guardrails, the right community guidelines, the right product features to ensure that that didn't happen from day one. I feel like Microsoft is going to take that and run with it and be like, LinkedIn is the only good social network for women. Don't do that, Microsoft. That's not what you said. Mm -mm. Not, what I, not what I said. Big mistake. Huge. <laughs> 
Well, thanks very much, Carolyn. I think we're, we are out of time, but it's been great talking to you. I really, really enjoyed it. And Childers. we really appreciate you coming on. Childers. Carolyn Childers. It. Yes. I remember for Disrupt. You're joining us at Disrupt, right, Carolyn? We are. Yeah. I'm excited. Oh, excellent. A little sneak preview. Yeah. We haven't awesome. announced it yet, I don't think. So there you go. Fans you heard it home. here first, fan listeners. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I loved being here. Thank you for... A really fun conversation. Yeah. Yeah, good. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks. And for folks at home, Equity is next Thursday. That's Live. right. Check Our it friends out. Friends at Equity. And we'll see you the week after. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Cal Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.